Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Wednesday at 9 p.m. RPM's about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Hey, New York City. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute live from the new WBAI Studios a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialist of America. The Democratic Socialist of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States with 95,000 members nationwide, and New York City DSA is its biggest chapter. We are run by our 9,000 plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. I'm Lee Zishi. I'm Amy Wilson. Hey, New York City. And on June 2nd, the legislative session will end in New York State, and elected officials will head home for the summer. And in typical Albany fashion, the fight to pass the most transformational bills is coming down to the wire. Tonight, we continue our series of interviews with the DSA for the many for the many slate of candidates with Vanessa Aguadella, who is running who is joining us live on RPM tonight from Peekskill, New York. Vanessa is running for Assembly District 95 in the Lower Hudson Valley. We'll talk to her about why Peekskill and the other communities she's running to represent need a Green New Deal, the status of the Build Public Renewables Act with one week left to pass the bill, and so much more. We'll also be opening up the phone lines around 9.45 p.m. to hear from you. And first, the headlines. Hey, what's up, New York City? This is Amy Wilson with your headlines for today, Wednesday, May 25th. In local news, according to an extensive investigation, Mayor Eric Adams has used his public offices to promote a policing product called Bola Wrap, while his chief of staff, Frank Carone, held a major financial stake in the company. The latest NYC Housing and Vacancy Survey revealed that vacancies in the city jumped from 3.63% in 2017 to 4.54% in 2021, with almost 100,000 apartments that rent below $1,500 disappearing. There are now more Airbnb listings available in New York City than apartments for rent, according to a recent report. Price gouging has increased prices on baby formula amid a supply shortage. The cost of water is set to rise in New York City. The Metropolitan Transit Authority will soon host town halls on a proposed Interborough Express from Bay Ridge in Brooklyn to Jackson Heights in Queens. 
City agencies are losing abnormally high numbers of staff to attrition, with some estimates showing a loss of almost 20,000 staff since 2020. State investigators are looking into why the man accused of killing 10 people in a Buffalo food market was allowed to buy a gun after being reported to state authorities for homicidal intent. The widely unknown Red Flag Law, which empowers enforcement officers, school officials, and even family members to file a petition to ban someone from buying a firearm, could have been, but was not, utilized. The New York Public Library branch at 135 East 46th Street is in danger of closing. Although it was initially intended to be a temporary branch, it became a fixture in the community, providing career services, homework help for students, and English to speakers of other languages classes. In elections news, a, quote, special master appointed by an upstate judge released new state Senate and congressional district lines for the August primary. The lines largely favor Republicans over the previous maps that were drawn by Democrats. The city built a tool for NYC voters to check if they have been redistricted. The new congressional maps have created an open race in a new Manhattan and Brooklyn district, New York 10, that is leading to strong interest from Bill de Blasio, State Senator Brad Hoylman, Assembly Members Bobby Carroll and Yuleen New, and Council Member Carlina Rivera. The new maps are likely to cause longtime incumbent congressperson Gerald Nadler, to face Carolyn Maloney in the new New York 12. Scott Stringer is considering running for Senate District 49, a new district on the west side of Manhattan that overlaps with Brad Holman's current district. And yet another outbreak of horrific violence has occurred this week in the small border town of Uvalde, Texas, where at least 17 children and two adult teachers were killed yesterday, by an 18-year-old shooter wielding an AR-15. In the decades since the Sandy Hook shooting, schools, especially in communities of color, have become increasingly policed, and more burdens have been placed on already overworked teachers, with little to show for it in terms of actually keeping students and school workers safe. We continue to be in deep grief for the victims of this shooting, the recent shooting in Buffalo, New York, and for all victims of the violence of the United States, whether it be state-sponsored or perpetrated by individuals, we need urgent action from all levels of society to limit the power of capital and the racist, sexist, transphobic, and xenophobic violence it promotes. With love and rage, I'm Amy Wilson for Revolutions Per Minute. Now let's go back to the studio for tonight's show. Our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by New York City DSA Electoral Working Group covering local politics and radical activism. You can subscribe at thethornnyc.substack.com. Tonight, we are joined by Vanessa. Welcome to RPM. Vanessa, it's so great to to see you and have you um, on the show tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And yeah, so as we just heard in the headlines, there's a lot of very heavy things happening right now, whether that's the violence from guns, the violence being wrought on people by capitalism. I just wanted to make some space um, so you can be a human being here tonight and just see how you're doing um, and if there's anything you want to say to our listeners before we dive into the rest of the show. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's it's been hard. Um, I know that it's the tragedies that we have had to face and that our communities are facing over the past couple of weeks um, and really just for, for so long um, have have been hard, I think, um, and a really big burden to carry. Um, I, I, I just want to make sure that folks are, are taking care of themselves, um, sending my love to the people who have lost loved ones um, over the past couple of weeks. Um, yesterday, uh, a week ago, um, up in Buffalo. Um, I think that this really is a call for us to take action um, on this epidemic that we're facing and, and really just the, uh, the, the stronghold that these big industries have, the, the gun industry, the, 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 the gun lobbyists who have just captured so much political power and have also been able to ingrain our society with this gun culture that's also like very dangerously racially motivated. Um, I think it's it's just like a, a sickness that we have to deal with as a country and we really have to acknowledge this and and really also reckon with the the conditions that allow for people to feel like violence is the only answer. And 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 that's really kind of a product of this capitalist system that that we're being held hostage in. And thanks, Vanessa, for that response and for, again, echoing Lee's welcome and thanks for appearing on the show. Definitely interested to hear more about your district and your community in the Hudson Valley and uh, what you're running on um, in this assembly uh, race. But first, we'd like to get to know you and ask the question that we always ask our Revolutions Per Minute listeners. Uh, what brought you into your current role as a socialist organizer? And what are the social forces that have shaped your life so far? Yeah, that's always a, it's always like such an interesting question for folks doing this work, right? Um, I definitely wasn't like very political growing up or like radical at all. Um, you know, I, I grew up in like a working class neighborhood. Uh, my parents were immigrants from Colombia, um, like a lot of my peers. My parents worked really hard hours. My dad, for, for a very long time, worked 17-hour days. My mother, to this day, is, is a domestic worker, also did very hard labor, has yet to ever see benefits for any of that labor, has fully been reliant on my father for for health insurance. And, um, and I saw these as kind of like individual issues, just like kind of like individual failures. And, and really, I think I internalized had like internalized um, the the like where we were um, within our class system um, amongst my family, and I think it wasn't until college and then graduating from college and like doing all the things right, you know, like working hard, um, going to school, uh, getting good grades, and and then looking to find a job so I don't have to go through the same financial hardships I had to watch my my parents go through, and then being in like thousands of dollars in debt, like having found a job in my field, but it not paying me enough for me to live on my own, ending up back in my parents' house. And then like really looking around and seeing that a lot of my friends were in that same predicament where they like also weren't making enough to live on their own, also like in major debt. And then their parents also working just as hard as they were working when they were growing up. 
um, and still struggling to make ends meet. And um, this was right around the time when Bernie Sanders was running for president in, in 2015 and 2016. Um, and I think it was really then where, I mean, it was a culmination of like moments, but I think that was kind of the moment where I realized that this was a, a failure of our system. It was a systemic problem. It wasn't just a, a shortcoming. You know, it wasn't because my parents weren't working hard enough or because I wasn't smart enough. It was it was because our system was failing us um, collectively. And it, it was his vision of, a, you know, building towards a future where our basic needs weren't being held hostage. That like really motivated me to to start to do this work. And um, that's kind of where, you know, after the, you know, we lost the primary in 2016, I really looked to do more local work following his call, you know, that change happens from the bottom up. And um, that's where I started organizing. And that's where I started to really make the connections of how these like for profit corporate entities were really just dominating our society and locally were, you know, holding our, our neighbors, my community hostage um, by, by allowing us to kind of just be their dumping ground and, and carry this immense burden. Um, so that's, uh, it was kind of really through the environmental justice work, fighting the, the pipelines here, the, the spectra expansion or the, the expansion of the spectra pipelines. Um, seeing how our, our community members were, were kind of taking it upon themselves to try to do something to fix the system that was like putting our safety at jeopardy um, and uh, wanting to be part of the movement to, to fight for a world where our, our economy, our industries, our, govern, our governing bodies were actually functioning at the benefit of the people. Yeah, and we'll definitely dig a lot more into that environmental history and your own organizing. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about um, your previous elected position. You actually ran for Peekskill City Council when you were just 25 years old um, and won. Um, can you talk about that experience and how it impacted your decision to run for assembly now? Yeah, um, so it was kind of the organizing work locally, especially, especially through kind of the environmental organizing kind of propelled me into running for office. I was asked a number of times to run um, and never really was interested in, in being like an elected official or a politician whatsoever. But um, it was kind of framed as like a responsibility that I needed to step up and do this when no one else was. And I've kind of kind of carry that since then. Um, but, you know, we, I ran, I won, I was the youngest elected at 25. It was historic and great. But then, you know, when I got into office, I realized that um, a lot of my colleagues, though, we had completely wiped out the Republicans who had held a minority on the council, but held the, the, the mayor's seat um, for years before that wiped them out, had a fully democratic council, and we still were seeing like huge hesitation on on taking action to like really mitigate the worst of climate change and like huge hesitation on wanting to even hold the line against gentrification or wanting to hold the line against these luxury developers who were coming in and and raising rents with their projects and and displacing so many of our, our neighbors. Um, and I realized that these issues that so many of us, of our, our folks were facing here in Peekskill and, and quite frankly, across the Hudson Valley and across the state just can't be 
they, they can't be, it, the, the scale of the issues is, is far too big for city government and it's far too big of a burden for small municipalities, especially those such as Peekskill who are, have been incredibly underfunded and, and who are communities of color and who are low income. They, they can't cross they can't possibly have the resources that they need um, to be able to to take kind of the bold steps forward to ensure that we're doing what we can to um, make sure that our, our folks are protected against um, the worst that is to come from the climate crisis and that we're moving towards, you know, a, a renewable transition and that we're not investing in outdated technology and retrofitting our buildings from oil to gas like we did during my tenure um, these were all things that I voted against, but I was just one voice, and um, and and that's why I realized that really these are these are issues that need to be taken up by the state. New York State is the richest state in the country. Um, the amount of wealth that exists here is unimaginable, um, given the amount of uh, poverty that also exists here as well. Um, income inequality is a really big problem, and I think that when we can finally reform our tax system and when the wealthy can finally start paying their fair share, we can start investing in our communities and, and we can start seeing changes to ensure that um, that prosperity that New York has been enjoying is really sh it's shared by, by working class families across the state and not just a, a wealthy few. Yeah, oh, so much there to, to, to touch on, and we'll definitely go more in depth um, into a lot of those issues um, today with you live. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. Today, we're continuing our series of interviews with the DSA for the Many Slate and are joined live by Vanessa Aguadella, a DSA-endorsed candidate for Assembly District 95 in the Lower Hudson Valley. And just a reminder to everybody tuning in, we will be opening up the phone lines because we want to hear from you later in the show. If you want to jot down that number, it's 212-209-2877. So Vanessa, um, in addition to being a part of the DSA, say for the many slate. Um, you're also part of the Green New Deal slate, and you mentioned some of the issues you know that you saw um, as a city council member in Peekskill. Um, you've been a very longtime organizer and just kind of a, a disclosure for our listeners. I do know Vanessa for many years from her amazing organizing against the Spectra Pipeline. Um, so can you tell our listeners about some of those fossil fuel projects that you've been involved in um, stopping in your area in the Hudson Valley? Yeah, well, what a lot of people don't realize is that we are home to the only site in the country where we have a now decommissioned nuclear power plant um, sitting on top of two fracked gas pipelines. Um, and back in 2015 and 16, when I first kind of started organizing locally, um, was right around the time where Spectra was looking to expand those pipelines. Originally, they were uh, 24 inches, um, and they were looking to almost double them in size to 42 inches. Um, and uh, so we, there was a number of people who got involved, um, trying to stop this from happening, um, trying to convince shareholders from pulling out and, and making it clear that this was not a, a wise investment and, and the impacts that it, it could have on our communities if, if this were to go through. Um, and of course, unfortunately, I shouldn't say of course, but unfortunately we weren't able to stop it. But I think um, it was through a lot of that work, through that organizing, that community building, that education, a lot of the work that 
um, sane energy that Lee, I know that you're a part of really was integral and in, in leading, um, I think, uh, impacted the ability for other uh, areas within the Hudson Valley to stop the expansion of the fossil fuel um, industry. So um, there are some positive positives there, but we are still kind of dealing with the fact that we have you know, what was the oldest operating nuclear power plant now decommissioning. Um, they're, they're, uh, the Indian Point is a really big issue in our region. Um, people, we've been fighting to, to uh, close down Indian Point for quite, quite a while because of the danger it's posed in our community. Um, and now uh, there's discussions about moving um, the spent fuel rods to another community down in New Mexico, creating another environmental justice community. Um, and, and this is just, you know, this is, this is the story of so many different uh, communities across the country. Um, and, and it really just demonstrates that our, here in District 95, we need someone who's going to fight to ensure that we have a, a bold, quick transition to renewable energy that centers a just, just transition so that communities like ours who have been carrying this immense burden for far too long can finally benefit from that investment. Um, things like passing the Build Public Renewables Act uh, would be an incredible step forward in, in that in that regard, um, just because of the amount of jobs it can bring to our community um, and uh, the, the possibility for, for our constituents and, and our residents to have access to, to clean energy at an affordable rate um, that isn't you know, dependent or, or whose rates aren't going to be at the mercy of, of the profit margin or shareholders. Um, we also have uh, the garbage incinerator here in Peekskill, which is another incredible um, environmental injustice uh, here in Westchester County and actually parts of the tri-state area, Connecticut and New Jersey, also truck over their garbage to Peekskill and then have it burnt right in our backyard. Um, this facility is about 36 years old. The lifetime of an average incinerator in the country is about 30 years. Um, so the facility is, is way past its lifetime, which means that it's running really inefficiently, um, adding to the pollution that um, our neighbors have to live with. Um, it's the number one polluter in Westchester County by about six times over. Um, and again, you know, it's no coincidence that we have the garbage incinerator, that we have the fracked gas pipelines, that we have, you know, the nuclear um, uh, power plant here in, in communities of color, low income communities, because it's, it's, it's constantly these kinds of communities that, that corporate, uh, corporation that the corporate entities feel like they can come in and um, take advantage of because they feel like we have no other choice. Um, but we do have another choice and, and we need leaders who are going to fight to ensure that there are alternatives and that those alternatives are going to bring clean energy and are going to bring environmental justice to these communities that that just have been far, burdened um, with the pollution with the the, the detrimental health impacts, um, you know, the numbers don't lie. And, and we, it's, it's really far past time that we that we get some change and some and justice for our community.
Yeah, it was seeing the fossil fuel industry and other industries treat communities as sacrifices zones that kind of led me to socialism. And it's insane that most people in New York City don't know that there's a major pipeline, you know, under a nuclear power plant, and we are in the evacuation zone, depending on which way the wind is blowing. And I would just my own personal bet, all these nuclear bros that come out of the woodwork, you know, saying we need nuclear, you know, we're not fighting other frack gas power plants like Dan Scammer, um, CPV, they were not there with the community fighting the Spectra pipeline. So who knows, maybe they'll call in today, they love to show up and complain, but <laughs> that's just my soapbox. Uh, you mentioned the Build Public Renewables Act, we've covered this a lot on the show. Um, where is that bill at with just one week left in the session? Yeah, so it's becoming a very, uh, it's really exciting because it, it really looks like we have in, like a really big possibility of getting the Bill Public Renewables Act passed. Um, so it's it's passed out of the Corporations Committee and the Assembly. Um, and I know that it was conferenced by the Senate um, today, um, hopefully will be voted on by uh, next week. Um, we actually had uh, our, our senator um, here in the, that overlaps with our assembly districts, uh, Senator Pete Harcum just signed on to the bill. So I want to give a big thank you because we need more Westchester support on this bill. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting to see that uh, the challenges to kind of the status quo. I think that uh, David Alexis, who's running down in Brooklyn, who's challenging uh, Kevin Parker has really made it um, and, and just all the challenges across New York State from uh, people who are championing um, this kind of bold climate legislation is, is really what's putting pressure uh, on current legislators to feel like they have to deliver on an issue that they've been saying that they've been good on for, for many years. Um, so it's, it's really great news. And I think we just need to make sure that we're keeping up the pressure um, and that we're making calls to our representatives to ensure that they're going to vote in favor of this bill so we can make it happen this year. So Vanessa, um, regular listeners of Revolutions Per Minute certainly know that, and you know Lee from her climate organizing, we call her Captain Planet. She's a really powerful climate organizer. Um, but you may not know that I'm a big labor organizer and a, a labor nerd. And although Lee and I are very good friends and comrades, our respective movements are not always friends and comrades. And in fact, there's sometimes a, a, a perceived clash or a difference of interest between labor and the environment. So can you talk a little bit about um, your approach and this approach of the entire Green New Deal slate to the idea of a just transition? You mentioned uh, jobs creation a couple minutes ago. Can you speak to how um, these contradictions can actually be resolved through legislation and activism like the type you're involved with now. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate that labor has been like pinned against like the environmental movement. It's really been a huge obstacle over the past couple of years, especially, you know, in peak skill, like when we were fighting against the Spectra pipeline, you typically had workers coming into the hearings who were supportive of the pipelines only because they felt like we were taking away their livelihoods. And I think that that's kind of the biggest misconception about what we're looking for when we're talking about a Green New Deal for New York or about a just transition um, because we want union jobs, right? Like we wanna make sure that when we're building out our, our energy grid and we're, when we're building out um, renewable energy infrastructure that these jobs that we're creating 
you know, are paying livable wages that have the job security that union jobs provide. Um, that, you know, I think that we really need to start organizing um, or having a conversation with labor that's going to be much more productive because I think that um, the renewable energy um, is, industry is, is, is here to, to stay. Um, I think that it's, it's better if it's, um, I think we have to ensure that it's, um, that as, as we start to build it out, that it's um, being, uh, that it's working at to function at the benefit of the people. So making it publicly owned. So it's dependent on, on um, producing the kind of impacts that will benefit ourselves, you know, our communities and the climate first and foremost over profit is is definitely you know what we need and and we can do that we can build out renewable energy by passing the build public renewables act and by ensuring that the jobs that are created are union jobs um, and that we're providing um, job training for the folks who are in, um, in in these other industries in the fossil fuel industry and providing them the ability to transition into the renewable energy uh, sector um, so that they can continue to have a livelihood and one that has is in an industry that's here to stay, um, not one that is going obsolete. Um, so I think we we absolutely need to continue to have these conversations with union with the unions in a more uh, productive way because it it feels like we've um, been talking past each other a lot. Um, and I think that we just the understanding that we have to take action around the climate crisis and that we have to move towards renewable energy just has to be an understanding that and a reality that you know everyone um, holds true. Um, and then once once we can do that, I hope that we can move towards a place where where we're organizing together uh, because right now, if you look at, you know, the uh, renewable energy that does exist, these, the jobs that have been created because of them have not been union labor. Um, and, and we have the opportunity to make sure that if, as we start to expand um, renewable energy here in New York State, that those are created with union jobs. Yeah. And if I can just briefly add to that excellent response, sort of from, from my perspective as the the labor voice on the show, if you will. I mean, there's sort of this, we, we are seeing a, a new movement in labor, as we discuss frequently on, on Revolutions for Minute, and, and certainly people are now aware of with high profile fights like Starbucks and Amazon, things like that. And I think part of that new movement in labor is understanding that workers are not just workers. There's historically been this quite conservative and even patriarchal sort of viewpoint that a union worker is, is just just a worker and not uh, a mother or um, a, other roles in society that people as people fill, right? That, that people need clean water, clean air, safe places for their children to grow up and play and have recreation and enjoy all the wonders and beauty of nature as well. It's so important. So, you know, I think, and I also think that anytime we talk about unions in the labor movement, we also have to ask ourselves, who are we actually talking about? Are we talking about union workers? Do they have a democratic right to express themselves within their union? Or are we talking about, you know, union labor bureaucrats that may be um, not truly reflecting the will of their rank and file membership? So I just echo your hope that we can stop talking talking past each other and start talking to each other and seeing that these are not contradictory interests. In fact, we really have each other's best interests in mind with us. Yeah, absolutely. And then and fixing that misconception, because I think you're absolutely right, because I think there is kind of, I think rank and file is, is 
uh, misunderstanding kind of the benefits that could come from, you know, re more renewable energy. And, and uh, yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. I think that, that there definitely is kind of a, um, a lack of representation from, from rank and file in these discussions and, and increasing that and making them more part of the conversation so they understand how, you know, how we really do have their backs, I think is, is really critical in this, in this fight. Yeah, no, just one thing I've noticed, you know, it's, it's a very small sometimes sector of unions, you know, and a lot of the trade unions that are opposing certain bills are being, you know, whipped up by people like National Grid who are selling them false solutions. And um, it's always, you know, the, the typical boss guy who speaks at a public hearing. We never really often hear from the rank and file. So RPM, we support you. If you're rank and file, call in. We would love to talk to you later. Um, you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. Today, we're joined live by Vanessa, DSA-endorsed candidate for Assembly District 95 in the Hudson Valley. We've got more coming up with Vanessa, and we'll be opening up the phone lines, as I just mentioned. Um, but first, a reminder that we are only on the air tonight because of listeners like you. WBAI is listener supported. We do not get any funding from National Grid or Con Edison or any of the fossil fuel companies. Um, we are only on air because listeners like you donate and contribute what you can. Um, we know times are tough and you might not be able to give a lot, but every little bit helps. Um, this is how we also, you know, DSA runs campaigns this way. Good organizing is run by the people. Um, so if you're enjoying the content you're hearing tonight, please, please give to RPM. Um, you can give to the station by calling 212-209-2950. Um, again, that number is 212-209-2950. Help keep um, this amazing content like RPM on the air. You can also go to WBAI.org. And we are always eternally grateful to our listeners who keep us on the air. Just thank you so, so much. Uh, just one more time. That number is 212-209-2950. Thanks for keeping us on the air. So Vanessa, if we can speak a little bit more to some of the specifics of your district, um, being located in the Hudson Valley, which um, among many other things is also um, a tourist destination and has been a site where a lot of people from where Lee and I are from have, have moved or, or fled to during the pandemic. Can you speak to how that has affected um, issues like housing in Peekskill and um, what, are your what are your future constituents facing in that regard? Yeah, no, housing is one of the biggest issues um, facing our folks here in Peekskill, I think probably facing our state, um, definitely here in, in the Hudson Valley, our region. Um, the, the pandemic and kind of the, the, the flight of folks coming from New York City looking to, to find greener areas have definitely impacted um, the kinds of projects that developers want to come and pitch to places like Peekskill, um, where they feel like we uh, have very little options and, and, and have no other um, 
cannot say no. And um, my tenure in office, I, I had to hold the line quite a bit uh, from a lot of gentrification and kind of developers coming in, pitching these luxury development projects, moving our market rate up to about 2200 for a one bedroom, which is ridiculous that we're approving projects that are planning on pricing their units at this rate. Um, and what we're seeing happen because of that and because of kind of this like unregulated market is landlords who are, are now seeing an opportunity to raise their rents whenever leases are up um, are raising their rents by like really exorbitant rates. I mean, I've talked to people whose rents have gone up by like $500,000 and, and these are just impossible rent hikes, um, especially at a time where people have lost a lot of you know their income, whether it's losing their job or losing partial income, um, where the cost of living has risen so high that they just can't keep up with it. Um, and now they're dealing with the stress of having to be displaced from the community that they've known for so long. Um, many people, you know, having their kids here, um, going to school in our school districts, um, now having to potentially look for other places to live because they just cannot afford the the rent hikes that they're being faced with because of the impacts of these luxury developments being built to to kind of um, to the feel to to fill the the demand the so called demand that we're seeing from from people leaving New York City. Um, so things like good cause eviction would bring rent stabilization to the state and would ensure that people don't have to worry about, you know, having their rents raised over, I think the percentage we're talking about, I think at this point is 3%. I know that that has to be negotiated, um, but I would really make it so people have, um, have kind of a, a barrier from this, you know, from greedy landlords who want to provide comparable um rent rates um, in an area that is that is you know being is changing overnight and and we're unfortunately the local um, local elected officials uh, are seeing it as a as a way to build their tax base instead of trying to build up the community that's been been there for so long so um, here in Peekskill we actually have a, a very high percentage of renters who are considered rent burdened. Um, we actually are a majority renter population where it's like 52%. So it's about half, but uh, close to 60% of our renter population is paying more than what they should be paying for rent. So over 30% of what they're bringing in on a monthly basis. And a close to 40% of that population is paying over 50% of what they're making. So literally 50% of what they're taking home from work is going to their rents. And, and this means that they have no, you know, much less to buy, you know, to use to buy for food, to pay for bills, pay utilities, which we know utilities costs are going up. Um, and these are all stats that were reported by Westchester County back in 2019. So we know that the impacts of the housing crisis are, are even worse. People are in much more danger of, of being evicted. Um, we know that that number has has severely grown. Um, so we need to we need leadership that's going to take action on this housing crisis. And, and good cause eviction is really the bare minimum that we can do. Absolutely. And, and so much of what you just said is also true of tenants here in New York City with rent hikes and uh, cost of living going up, cost of utilities being sky high um, here with Con Ed. Um, and we here in New York City have some city-specific uh, tenant protections that are stronger than what 
tenants have in the rest of the state. But good cause eviction is a state level um, tenant protection bill. So again, now with one week left in our legislative session, do you have any comment on how the struggle to pass good cause eviction is going up in Albany now? It's, it's really disappointing that we that it's taken this long, um, that it's taking this long. Uh, you know, this is, we were able to pass um, historic rent laws back in 2019, and but good cause was left out. And, and quite frankly, it should have been a part of that package. Um, we've, we've been debating this for uh, far too long. And I think it, it just really shows the amount of influence and power that the real estate industry has over um, Albany and, and over our state elected officials. Um, so I, I really hope that we can make it happen this year. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, like I said, th this is really the, the bare minimum. I mean, there's a number of other pieces of legislation, the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, um, uh, home or uh, the voucher program that would, you know, ensure that undocumented um, immigrants are also able to have access to um, affordable housing, because that's also a big issue is uh, we have a lot of like substandard housing, illegal housing, where, where folks have no other um, option but to rent a bedroom um, and, you know, where a whole family will be living in one bedroom illegally with a, a, a lock on their door and, and call it a home. Um, and not only is this unsafe, but it's, it's, it's also just, it, it's, it, it shouldn't be the, the option that people have to turn to before ending up on the streets, especially in, in the wealthiest state in, in the country. Um, and, and, we, and, and we can't just, you know, we can't turn to code enforcement and just kick these people out and expect them to find a home either, right? And this is why the state really needs to step in. And that's why these programs are so critical. Um, but, but we're, you know, but right now, good cause eviction is extremely viable. It has an immense amount of support. Um, there's been a lot of incredible organizing around this issue, um, and it's it's really just common sense legislation to the to the crisis that we're facing, especially after the pandemic and 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 the fear that people have been feeling since the eviction moratorium ended. It's it's really just the bare that the bare minimum that we can do, and I hope that um, our leadership, you know, the Democratic majority that we have up in Albany, leads on this issue um, because it's something that that just desperately needs to be addressed as soon as possible. We have one week left. We'll see where it's at. And we know that it would not be as far as it is without, you know, Democratic socialist leaders. The prime sponsor of that bill is Julia Salazar. Um, and so it, it'll be very interesting to see where that plays out. I want to remind listeners, we're going to be opening up the phone lines very soon. If you want to call in, um, the number to call in is 212-209-2877. Um, again, that number to call in is 212-209-2877. 2877. And so while um, our listeners are calling in, Vanessa, um, you mentioned there hasn't been any housing legislation passed since 2019. There hasn't been any climate legislation. And we haven't seen any healthcare legislation, um, even though we are now two plus years into a pandemic. Um, it's another one of those things that just seems like such common sense. And it's, I don't understand why it's moving forward. Uh, what are you running on? And what are you hoping to do once you get to Albany on healthcare? Yeah, we, we need to pass the New York Health Act. We, we need to make sure that there are absolutely no barriers to the health care services that people need um, here in New York State. Uh, I think that the pandemic, if, if it's 
taught us anything, it's that we're absolutely dependent on each other's well-being and then that we cannot afford for people to be avoiding going to the doctor because of financial concerns or because they have to choose between, you know, paying for medical bills or putting food on the table. That shouldn't be a choice that people have to make. Uh, the New York Health Act is is not new legislation. It's it's you know we've been talking about this for I think I believe over three decades at this point. Um, it finally has a majority support co sponsorship. There we have the numbers to get it passed in both the Assembly and the Senate. Um, but we need the leadership uh, from our current elected officials to get it to move to the floor for a vote. Uh, I think uh, we this is it's far past time that we pass legislation that actually makes a difference when it comes to the healthcare crisis that we're facing, uh, and and it's really just disappointing the lack of action that this legislature has been taking, um, especially given kind of the the kind of more compromised bills that have been proposed. I mean, um, as someone who's worked as an immigrant rights advocate. Uh, for New York Immigration Coalition, one of the big bills that we were pushing for was coverage for all, which would make it so, at the very least, undocumented immigrants can have access to affordable health care coverage here in New York State. Um, and we weren't even able to get that done this year. And it's just it's just criminal the fact that you know we have a, a group of people who have been putting their well-beings on the line, the well-beings of their families by going to work. They don't have the luxury to stay at home like we have been during the pandemic. And we can't we we can't allocate resources to ensure that they at the very least have the ability to have access to affordable coverage. Um, so it's it's we it, the lack of the lack of action around this issue is is just infuriating. And it just really shows that we need to elect leadership who is clear on the fact that health care is a human right and that there should be absolutely no barriers to these health care services. Um, and then the other thing is, is, is just it would make our healthcare system so much easier. I, just today I was knocking on doors and I uh, knocked on the door of someone who works um, as a, a healthcare uh, clinician. And she was saying how if Medicare is any uh, demonstration of what universal healthcare could be like, she's all about it because of how easy it is to deal with, you know, getting her money um, from from. The public from Medicare as opposed to private insurance companies who she has to like argue with or has to pay someone else you know uh, hundreds thousands of dollars to spend hours arguing with insurance companies just to get paid very little money um, by the way and um, and and she wants to be able to to see the average person she doesn't want to have to limit the her clientele just because certain insurance companies are easier to work with um, if we had a single payer system, this would be so much easier um, and people wouldn't have to feel like it's a luxury to, to see your doctor, to see your dentist or to um, have a therapist. You know, these things shouldn't be deemed as luxuries. These should just be things that we have access to um, and are kind of just a, a part of our lives and in order for us to, to live healthy, fulfilling lives in, in our communities. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing the 
bureaucratic webs and like pitfalls that capitalism has created entire industries around pretty much to surround basic human rights and prevent people access from that, you know, whether that's healthcare or energy. Um, it's, it's just insane. And I think it seems like it's something that is really resonating with our callers. We have a couple callers on the line. Um, caller, you are live on WBAI. What is your question or comment? Hi. Um, I just wanted to comment on something Amy raised, which is um, I read an article in the Times about the fact that out in California, the laws to expand solar panels on homes has been resisted by the Construction Workers Union um, the, for, from the um, from the again, in other words, putting the workers against solar power because the argument was because of the non-union jobs in the solar panel industry, which is something that Amy raised. And this is a real catastrophe. And um, I'm glad you addressed that. And I wondered what you think some of the um, solutions to this might be. And um, I mean, I know you said that we're saying that, and I know Bernie Sanders had said these would be good paying union jobs, um, but <clears throat> making that point a little stronger so that that the opposition that's probably coming from the bureaucracies of the unions, but still uh, the unions are taking that stand in California, which is really reactionary. Vanessa, would you like to respond? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that this is, this is, it's, it's playing out in California the same way it plays out in so many communities, um, unfortunately. And I think having, um, better relationships with unions and getting them on board um, with these projects earlier on, um, especially, I mean, I think it's, it's difficult because uh, as, as like organizers, you know, I think we we're doing everything we can to want to bring unions on board and want to bring labor on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a resistance because I think uh, because there is kind of that lack of understanding that, we, we really are working towards the same goals that we want, like we want workers to have, you know, job security. We want, we want folks to have a livable wage. We want, um, we, we don't want to expose workers to unhealthy working conditions either. And we, you know, we want them to be in healthy environments and to be, and, and for their jobs to be uh, building towards, uh, you know, futures where our, we're not putting our, our future generations in danger. Um, and I think that those are the conversations that need to happen, that kind of that shared realization that um, that there's kind of a, a bigger picture, um, a bigger crisis that we need to address and that we don't have to pin our interests against each other because our interests are, are one in the same. Um, and, and that we, you know, we very much want the unions to be on board. We want them to get these jobs. Um, we want to bring union jobs to our communities so people can have that same job security um, that folks with union jobs have, have been able to enjoy. Um, but, but we need them to come on board uh, because they're, the climate crisis, we, we cannot hesitate with, with kind of the, 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 the lack of amount of time we have to, to really deal with this in a substantial manner. And um, so it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation, um, but we need more leadership in office who's going to want to facilitate that conversation and, and not just kind of allow for the unions to, 
um, or for us to to kind of be uh, be consumed by these like old narratives that you know if if we want clean energy then you know it, it it's against union labor or, or union jobs and and that that is a narrative that we really need to fight against and and need to start building up kind of this this new narrative that union jobs and 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 a just transition and renewable energy and a Green New Deal here in New York are, are one in the same and that, you know, we're all on the same side and working together is, is going to help us all out in the long run instead of kind of working against each other right now in this moment. And I was just thinking the unionizing the, the, the uh, solar panel industry with jobs would be a good idea too, come to think of it. Thank you. Thanks so much for calling, Marilyn. It's nice to hear your voice tonight. And um, I just want to also add, uh, from the labor movement perspective, we need to stop thinking of the construction trades and the building trades as the only participants in the labor movement or as the only type of union that there is. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is that a union worker is likely to be a woman of color in her 40s and 50s in the public sector, especially here in, in New York State. So um, the building trades are sort of notorious stinkers, if you will, on various progressive things that are um, trying to be put forward within the labor movement. And in a way, I think it's kind of, you know, the the labor movement also needs to lead on this and also needs to take a strong stance and say, you know, we need to be doing things that are for the good of everybody and not just trying to protect our own little territories and our own little fiefdoms as labor has been doing for decades, basically since the, the time of Ronald Reagan's presidency. So it also reflects, you know, dynamics within the labor movement and internal struggles within the labor movement that I think people like myself and many others are, are working now to, to correct. And uh, I believe we do have one more caller. Uh, caller, we have just a few minutes left in the show, so you're welcome to make a, a brief comment or ask a brief question of our guest. Yes, uh, please start the calls earlier, but I appreciate your program, and I guess I have to limit it to um, uh, one idea and suggestion, but um, first of all, regarding healthcare, uh, for someone who follows trends and even visions of where we need to go, we need to get back to the Flexner Report, the Rockefeller um, paradigm, and go toward more nature, less uh, reductionist, more mind, body, spirit, more prevention. Uh, the second point is, is your previous program, uh, it came out that the current mayor, Eric Adams, has a whole housing conflict and, and abyss for uh, housing justice, not to mention his swagger as a former cop, which we don't need. So Ralph um, Pointer mentioned about a recall petition. With your membership, I hope that you will connect with him and we can have some great pushback to what we're being, uh, there's some conflict that you also need to talk about in terms of his chief of staff and uh, a housing product and or proposal. And uh, hopefully I can get my uh, next idea in uh, when you start the curls, uh, calls early. And thank you, Max, for responding and picking up the calls readily. Peace. Well, peace to you as well. Thanks so much for calling in and, and for the suggestion. You know, we always love to, to hear from our callers. 
uh, and people out there in WBAI land. Uh, a recall petition of Eric Adams is news to me, but uh, and I certainly don't speak for the entire organization. But I second what you said about his the the corruption that's coming out about his administration, even after just a couple of months, his history in the NYPD um, and other unsavory things about uh, Eric Adams. So again. Not speaking for the entirety of New York City DSA, but I think we certainly feel ourselves to be uh, in opposition to Mayor Adams, and we're going to be organizing against him for as long as he's in office because his priorities for New York City and his friends in New York City are not friendly to our vision for a New York City and a New York State uh, that are not only uh, uh, that are more friendly to tenants and workers than bosses and landlords, and certainly not friendly to cops. So Vanessa, um, we have a, just a minute or two left in our show. Um, any final thoughts tonight? And can you let our listeners know where to go to find out more about your campaign? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on um, and for talk, letting me talk a little bit about our campaign that we're running here in the Hudson Valley. Um, if folks want to learn more, they can go on our website at Vanessa for F-O-R-N-Y.com. Um, you can also, from there, you can check out all our social media pages, um, sign up to uh, be on our listserv to get updates about our campaign. Um, this is, we are running a, a grassroots campaign. Uh, it's a three-way race here uh, for the Democratic primary. Um, and we are, we need all the help that we can get uh, because we are a people power campaign. So if folks um, have any ability to give um, any time or money uh, in the next couple of weeks, we have, we're just about a month out from the primary. Um, it definitely will make a difference because it is going to be a tight race. Um, but I, I think I also just want to um, maybe leave uh, this, uh, this interview off just on just the note that I think uh, people often talk about how like lofty these goals are, like passing these big pieces of legislation um, and how we need to be patient in waiting for us to work out all the kinks so we can get it done and we can bring everyone along. Um, but the reality is we just don't have the time to waste. And instead of allowing ourselves to be, um, to, to kind of, uh, be complacent to what the status quo and our, our current leadership wants to um, wants to kind of compromise away. We really need to be electing uh, progressive champions who are going to um, ensure that we're taking that that feel the level of urgency and are taking bold action. Um, I think uh, the the campaign that I was a part of, the campaign for the passage of the Excluded Worker Fund, was historic. I mean, it was two point one billion dollars in economic relief for undocumented workers, the first in the nation. And that bill was introduced, you know, the year that the pandemic started, and people thought that we were crazy for trying to push this and get this done in a year. But we were able to do it. Um, because we were organizing a mass movement and the urgency was being felt not just in New York City, not just in Westchester County, but across the state. So that's why races like mine, races like um, Sarah Hanna's up in the Mid-Hudson and, and all the other socialists that are running across the state are so important. So I folks can hope they can help us uh, win this race on June 28th. Thank you so much, Vanessa. You've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener sponsor WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM. I'm Lee Zishi, and we've been with Amy Wilson. Have a great night, New York City. We'll see you next week. Uh -huh.